Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome back to the Shema Podcast. You know, I've had many friends that have run marathons, not something I've ever aspired to do. Running 26.2 miles is something I would only be incentivized to do if someone was chasing after me with a chainsaw or something. But my friends who have done so have described to me what it's like. You know, along the path, especially as you get closer and closer, there's more and more of a crowd. There's bands playing. There's this constant encouragement to get to the finish line. And while I have never run a marathon, I do know somewhat what it feels like to complete it. After Yom Kippur, after davening all day, when I finally got to bed that evening, it felt like I had been through a davening marathon. So I sort of know what the elation of finishing something that takes so much endurance feels like. And I've often felt like this process of becoming tour observant has been like running a marathon. I envision all my rabbis that are in my life, so many of them now since I've moved into a community and about everyone here is my rabbi, all at the finish line. The bands are playing, they're drinking their Gatorade, everyone's complimenting them and bringing them food to eat. They're looking at their record and what they accomplished. And now it looks like the marathon is over. Everyone's beginning to close up. The band's putting away their equipment. The food vendors are packing up their supplies. And as everyone is wrapping up the day's event, someone looking out with a pair of high-powered binoculars says, stop, don't put everything away yet. There's another runner still coming and everyone gasps and says, well, how close is he? Is he almost here? And the person with the binocular says, no, he's about a third of the way through at best. So we have to be patient and we have to wait for him. And that runner that's so far behind, that is me. Everyone has made it past the finish line. The angels in the heavens are claiming it's time. It's time. Bring about Mashiach. Hashem, our king, let yourself be known in this world that you are the king. But I know I'm holding things up. I know that everyone is waiting on me. Now, I know there's many of you that are back here in the back of the race with me, trying to become Torah observant, trying to earn a rightful place as part of Hashem's troops to fulfill our destiny of being a priest unto all the nations. And this is one of the reasons I started the Shema podcast was I know many of you are back here with me and this way we can lock arms, support each other, and then with one unified voice say, wait for us. We are coming. Be patient. We are trying to get there as well. And that's such a challenge because I will tell you that I have become a Torah observant Jew now 20 plus times, meaning I've had so many points in my life where I thought I was there. I'm doing everything right. I did it. And then I learned some more and study some more Torah and realize there's so much more I need to do. 
and it's discouraging. And I know, too, that we are obligated, it's so necessary to stay in a state of joy. The divine presence can't occupy the space with someone who's in a state of despair. We have to stay in a state of joy, but it's so challenging to do so when you're fighting and you're struggling. And just as you think you're getting close to the finish line, you find out that it's so, so far away. To give you an example of what I mean by this, this year during the holidays, it was the time for Sukkot. And I learned not to try to transact business and build your wealth during this week. So during those intermediary days, I rescheduled any sales call. And so I was just going to tackle anything that was kosher, that was business maintenance. And I still had a very busy week. And I was also very busy in the evenings recording and editing the podcast I wanted to get out to you that week. And I realized that during that week, there were so many activities and I was missing out on all of them because I didn't know that they were going to be occurring. But I brushed aside and said, next year. Next year, you'll know to plan in advance. Just take off the last half of the day at work so you can participate in everything. So I shook it off and started afresh. Decided to get ready for that Shabbos before the final day of Sukkot and Simchat Torah. So I got ready for Shabbos. I shaved. My friend Scott Kerman comes over. I opened the door and said, are you growing a beard? He said, no, I'm not growing a beard. It's just you can't shave during the week of Sukkot. I had no idea. I just shaved. I said, what else? And he's like, well, you can't do laundry. And I met with Rabbi Busco and I said, I didn't know any of these things. And he said, well, there's a lot more. And I said, okay, fine. Next year, next year, I'll get it. I had another experience. And I was proud of myself in this moment. It was Shabbos. I was filling up the Brita water filter and I had enough insight to stop and think, I am separating the impurities of the water from the water. I believe this is prohibited. So I told my family, don't drink from the Brita water filter. I think this is something we can't drink from. I'll research it after Shabbos. And I researched it. And I learned that if you are okay drinking tap water, then it's permitted to drink filtered water because it's something that you normally drink with, with it not being filtered. But if you're like me and my family who have become accustomed to only filtered water and who do not drink tap water, then that water would be prohibited. And I was so proud of myself for at least having enough insight and being present enough to be cognizant of this that it felt good to know, okay, now you're thinking, you're getting the mindset. So I go to order a larger Brita water filter so that my wife wouldn't be so stressed about making sure there was bottled water in the house on Shabbos. So I ordered a big brand new one, a newer version, filled it up for the next Shabbos, was using it, and then learned a few weeks later that with this new version where the water gets filtered as you're filling up your cup, that once again, I was engaged in a prohibitive action of filtering water on Shabbos. It was it was so frustrating because I had such a good insight, did all that research, and then ordered something and was using it that once again was prohibitive. It's so discouraging. I'm going to give you another example. And this is what really encouraged me to want to do a podcast on this subject. But two Shabbos ago, I woke up in the morning in a very negative state. And I stopped myself and I said, there's absolutely no reason for you to be in a negative state. You have everything. So I said the Modei Ani and just started thinking about 
all the amazing blessings I have in my life. It's Shabbos. I have my health. I have an amazing wife, an amazing daughter, amazing rabbis. I'm an amazing community. I just kept talking to myself, getting myself over and over everything that I have to be excited about this day to where I was in just like this ecstatic frenzy ready for the Shabbos. And then I realized as I was talking to myself, what I had done as I was preparing my coffee, being so internal, thinking about all these positive thoughts to get myself in a great state of mind for Shabbos, I had inadvertently, instead of filling up my coffee cup from the water urn, I had inadvertently used the Keurig electric coffee maker. And as the coffee was coming out of this coffee maker, I realized what I had done. I had started an electrical current on Shabbos. And I threw the coffee out, and I went from being in this ecstatic state of joy to almost wanting to break down in tears I had done this. And this is the challenge. You have to stay joyful, but sometimes it can be so overwhelming. There's so much to learn. When you come from such a place as me, you are reconfiguring every aspect of who you are, all your thoughts, all your words, all your actions. You're learning all this halakha and what to do, but at the same time, as I've expressed, I'm not present and I make mistakes. And so it continues to seem like I'm almost there, I'm almost there, but yet you, I realize I'm so far, I'm so far from getting there. And I know that the world at large is waiting on me and it's frustrating. So it's something I have to figure out. I have to figure out how to balance staying in a state of joy even while being in this constant state of struggle and growth. And I was thinking about who would be the right rabbi to bring on to discuss this. And it didn't take me long after considering to know the perfect rabbi is Rabbi Wolgelinter. As I've expressed in previous podcasts, he was the very first torch rabbi to teach me. He drove out to the suburbs of Houston and teach a class on Musar and Talmud And I learned more from just watching his enthusiasm and energy from teaching the Torah was it was almost as important as the Torah itself. And now that I've been in a community with him, his neighbor, and been around him all this time, this is who he is all the time. He's constantly enthusiastic and excited. It's just a wonderful experience to be in his presence as a result of that. And there was something always familiar about him. And I figured out what that was. Back around 10 years ago, when my daughter was like three years old, I was sitting on the back patio, stewing about something that happened at work that day, contemplating it, getting irritated by it. My wife opens the door and says, Elsie woke up. She won't go back to sleep until she sees you. So she sat on the back patio with me on the chair and was snuggling up, starting to relax and go to sleep. All of a sudden, I hear her say, look, look. And I look over at her and she is pointing up at the sky. And I said, what do you see? And I kept looking around. What is she looking at? Is it a squirrel in the tree? Is it a plane in the sky? Maybe one of the neighborhood kids with a drone that was flying around. I kept looking. What are you looking at? She said, look, look, it's so pretty. And I looked up and I saw what she was seeing. She was seeing the night sky, the stars spread across the heavens. It was the first time she'd been up late night to see that. And she was so excited looking at the stars. And I began to get super excited with her, noticing and recognizing and being in awe of how beautiful it all is. 
And she stood up on the table and was jumping around, pointing at all the stars. And I was getting just as excited with her to look at all the stars. She was, look over here, look over there. By the time we went inside, my wife was anticipating that I'd be carrying her in on my shoulders asleep. But instead, I brought her in and we were more excited than ever. And both of us had a harder time getting to sleep. And this is something that we all need to keep, that just all we had as kids. And that's something that Rabbi Wolgenlinters, as much as his wisdom exceeds his age by two and three or more times, he has been able to embrace and keep that childlike enthusiasm and awe and excitement for the world around him. That is something we all need to embrace. So I'm delighted that Rabbi Wolgenlinterer is going to be with us here today to teach us how to maintain a state of joy when the struggles at hand to do what we need to do sometimes seem impossible. So Rabbi Wolgenlinter, thank you again for being here. I hope you can answer my question, how to maintain joy while struggling with the awesome and huge responsibility of taking on Torah observance. So how can you help us out here? Oh, right. Thank you. So first of all, I I think this might be a two-part podcast, okay? Just fair warning, we may not get through everything. Excellent. Um, Because what you just unloaded on us, I have to unpack for hours. Really think about all the points that you just made that was so tremendous. It really, really got me thinking. But I also have a bone to pick with you. Okay. Okay. I, I really do. Let's start there. Okay. You just told a beautiful story about a marathon. Okay. It was awesome. Now, number one, I as well have never run a marathon and could not imagine myself doing it. That's my number one bone bone to pick is can you choose real life examples like that actually have to do with normal people? <laughs> number one. Okay. Number two, you've set the bar too high. You're describing a marathon and you tell me how many starting points are there in the marathon you're describing? What do you mean how many starting points? Where does everyone start? Where does everyone start in the marathon? They all start at the starting line. Okay. There's one line, right? Right. We all line yes. up. True. Okay. How many finish lines are there in your marathon that you're describing? One. There's one. That's not fair. That's not life. Life is not one single finish line that we all got to get to. Okay, that's true. There might be one starting line, and that's the moment we're all born, when our body is gifted with the soul. When we get our neshama, that moment of birth, maybe possibly even before that, right? In utero, we say we're learning Torah, right? So, okay, so we all get a starting point. But the goal is not the same for every single person. So that celebration that you describe at the finish line where we cheer people across the finish and there's food trucks and there's Gatorade stands and you get to fuel up and there's granola bars galore. That finish line is in a different place for every single person. So you're describing a situation where this guy needs binoculars to find you because you're so far behind the finish line. I don't think it's true. I think that you've reached a finish line. The only thing is, guess what happens when you reach the finish line? They tell you, guess what? We're moving it 10 feet ahead. We're moving it a little further. And then you run, you run like heck to that finish line, your own personal finish line. I think what life is more similar to than the marathon that you're describing What life is more similar to is like, you know, they have the Special Olympics, right? And in the Special Olympics, where there are different goals for different abilities that people have. 
where you might have the regular Olympics where there's that finish line that you're describing. But in the Special Olympics, when we're dealing with people that are hampered with handicaps that we ourselves have in spirituality and in growth, then there are different goals for every single person. So for you, the finish line is here, and that means you've got to get there, and you've got to struggle to get there. We could talk about the minor finish lines, and then there's major finish lines, but that's, that's like one, every single person is really running their own marathon, and those, that music blaring at the finish line is there for you along the way at a different place than it is for me, and a different place than it is for your neighbor, and a different place for it is than for the lady up the block. I know there's a, this ongoing obviously advancement that everyone, I know that's never ending, but there is a baseline, you know, knowing how to just live as a Jew and do everything. I think that's a baseline that we're at least trying to get up to that level. Okay. Okay. I could, I could take that. I could take that. I still think you're setting the bar too high that we're all trying to get towards. Now in the big picture, you're right. There is a, the goal is to bring the awareness of Hashem to the world and to every single experience in the world. And that's what we refer to as Mashiach time. Okay, so that's like something in the future. But I thought when you told me, I thought we we're going to talk about like every day, like how are we going to deal with every day? And in the everyday marathon, there's this global marathon, right? This like marathon that spans all existence. It goes from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve, all the way to where we are, till the day that Mashiach comes. That's the big marathon. I think to focus on that is like, it's just, for me, it's too much for me. I got to think about my little, my little daily marathon. You know what? I, sometimes I have to think about my hourly marathon. Like, where's my finish line this minute? Like, right now, just where's my finish line? And then I can get a granola bar. And pump up with some Gatorade because I'm going to have an accomplishment. I'm going to get there. That's my finish line right there. And it's mine. It's my personal one. It's not yours. Yours is different. If I'm davening three times a day and someone else is struggling with finding the time to pray, then it's obvious that we have two very different struggles and very different challenges. But when we can meet that challenge, we can accomplish that goal. That's our finish line right there. Don't rest on your laurels is another marathon coming up right after. But if you have someone, you have people on every single different level, it doesn't mean that the people that have attained more knowledge are necessarily on a further level. In fact, the Talmud says the greater the person, the greater the Yitzhahara, right? I mean, they just have more challenges. They just uncovered like after the marathon, then they're like, now you get to do the tough mutter, right? <laughs> they just give you that, right? You've attained something. You've gotten to the finish line. Guess what's coming next, right? Okay. So, so it's like they, you get to the end of the marathon, you find out it's a triathlon and now you got to hop on your bike and, and very good. cycle very for good. 50 And you're like, I hate biking, right? So exactly. Exactly. So that's number one. Okay. okay. Number one, Fair you enough. set the bar to one. Number gotcha. two, do you realize, but I'll let you go for that, okay? Because it's an opening to an incredible an incredible part of the Torah, an incredible discussion. I mean, something that's so fundamental to daily life, um, this discussion really okay. is. Number two, just take a step back and realize for a second what's going on with water in your life. You just told me that you, you had this whole thing with water and it was a moment of awareness and you're like, wait, stop. I don't know if we can use this. So we went out, we fixed it. We invested in the, the better, the new, the fresher, the purer, water filtration that was going to be, you know, this is a, this Brita is Shabbos observant, right? And we got it. We got it home. We unpacked it. We were excited. Amazing. Excellent. And then we realized that like, oh my gosh, within that water filtration system is now a new challenge. 
Right. What, what is water? Why is water significant? We're told that in the times of Mashiach, in the, what we're all trying to get to, we're told and trying to bring about, we're told that the world is going to be full of the knowledge of Hashem. And the Pasuk says, you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like the water that fills the ocean. In every part of the ocean, there is water. So it will be, the times of Mashiach will be a time when the world will be full of the knowledge of Hashem, just like the water fills up the ocean. And the rabbis say from there that whenever we start talking about water, it signifies the knowledge of Hashem and that ultimate knowledge of Hashem, which is the goal. And it signifies a uncovering of a little bit of godliness in that situation when we're talking about water. So like I said, we might have to spend another time, another time talking about this and get together again, but... You wash your hands in the morning with water. You go into the mikvah, go into the ritual bath at times during the year. Part of the cycle of, of family purity is that the, a woman goes into the mikvah, into the water, into a pool of water. What's going on is you're attaching yourself to that water, which, which is the knowledge of Hashem. Okay, so you're having struggles in what? In water, not in right. water. What's Hashem saying? Hashem's saying to you something. What's he telling you? You idiot, you bought the wrong model, right? What's <laughs> right. he saying to you? What's he really saying to you? Is that, yeah, you're engaged in the right struggle. You're doing the right thing. Look, look at where your challenges are. Your challenges are in like this most mundane thing. And just how do I get, how do I get water to taste good that my family will drink it? Right? We can be a little healthy. And how do I do it while having this Shabbos thing that I'm trying to do? How do I do that? And you know what Hashem says to you? You know what? It's not going to come easy. Because this is exactly where you're meant to be. Like, that is your marathon right there. So Hashem says, right. you know what? We're going to throw some challenges at your way. Let's see what you think about this Shabbos thing. So your challenge is in water. That's number two. Okay? <laughs> okay. okay, that's number two. All and right, that's all by means, of, by means of introduction. Understand the third thing. What is, we're having this conversation here. And when we're recording this, it's right now, where are we holding? November. Right. So we're entering right into the winter, even though. Where we're recording this, we're at 75 degrees outside and sunny. doesn't feel much like winter, but as they say, winter is coming. Right. And we're going to get to a time of the year when it's dark and the days are short and there's a lot of darkness in the world. In physically, there's just on the, on the clock, there's just a lot of hours that you're up and it's dark. Kids are all messed up. There's, they don't understand why a week ago I was going to sleep and it was light outside, which is always like, it's not dark yet. Why do I have to go to sleep? Right. right? And now all of a sudden it's like five o'clock and I'm like, I'm so tired. Okay, guys, let's go to sleep. Let's go. Bedtime. <laughs> and they're like, are you serious? Like, I know it's pitch black outside, but are you serious? So it's, a, it's an adjustment. We're having this conversation about struggles leading into the time of the year, which is typically full of struggles. We know it's like the darkness of the winter is kind of a metaphor for the darkness of the time period of the Jewish people that we're in. We're in exile. We don't have a Beit HaMikdash. We don't have a temple. We have Jerusalem, amazing, but there's challenges all around. We do not have this world peace. We don't have this idea of, you know, the knowledge of God and filling the world. We're very much living in a time when it's exactly the opposite of that. It's almost, we, it's almost getting darker every day. And we're having this conversation about how to struggle through those times. And we're having it at a perfect time. So no matter when you're listening to this, I think that there's, there are going to be some, Dan's bringing, you're bringing up some great points and you're bringing up a great challenge that is 
part of what we do every day. But I think the time that this is actually being recorded infuses it with a certain energy because now is like sure. we're living in Alaska and we had a couple months of daytime and you know now we're no it's we're going into a period of time where it's just night. It's just night. It's winter. I mean, there's a little beacon in there. I'll give you a little nugget. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. But there's a little beacon of light inside of the winter, and it's not there by accident. What's that beacon of light? Literally, a beacon of light in the middle of the winter. What is it? In the Jewish calendar? In the Jewish calendar. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yes. It's, it's quite literally a beacon of light for what we do in the middle of the winter. And it's there on purpose. It's there because this is a time period in the calendar where there are no holidays, and it can get very dark. Because those are the times when you use to infuse yourself with spirituality. You use those times to reconnect. You use those times like you describe them. You have it on, on a weekly basis. We have Shabbos. That's true. But those holidays are those times, right? Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot. Those are the times we go to the Beis Hamikdash. We go to the temple back in the day when right. the world was in a great place. And those are the times you use to connect to Hashem face to face. We could still get a little bit of and a little element of that even on the holidays that we have. But you have this long period of time and it's the winter it's the winter time and we have this little beacon of light hanukkah that maybe can illuminate this uh this discussion but i think we'll save that we'll save that idea so tell me more about this challenge tell me more about where the challenge that you're describing is presenting itself this challenge of staying up and remaining focused and you know staying attached and where is it presenting itself? You gave us a couple examples, but tell me, you know, expound on it. I want to hear more. Okay. So like I said, there's, there's a base level I am just trying to get to. That once I get there, then I can advance my learning and all those things to continually advance myself. But I'm just trying to get to this base level, which is how to live as a Jew on a day-to-day basis, on Shabbos, during the holidays, to know what the halacha is, and even more so. A lot of the halacha I know, but I just get so absent-minded, I forget to do it. And I'm just trying to get to that level to where I'm doing everything, I'm proving myself to Hashem as following all his mitzvot, and now I can begin the next level, which is now become a greater scholar, now learn and study and grow. But like I said, I just want to get to that base level where I'm not desecrating Shabbos or any of the holidays. And I'm just sort of at that level to where I'm not doing anything great, but I'm not messing up. That's what I'm trying to get to. Just okay. not messing up. I hear that. I hear okay. That. I hear that. Okay. So, so we have to know to understand fundamentally that that what you are describing, that struggle to just attain a certain amount is really baked into what we're meant to be doing. So it's not abnormal. I think that's number one thing to understand is that when you hook a person up to a machine in the hospital and they hook them up to monitor them, what do you see on the screen? You see that doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. Right. You see this constant movement yes. and that's monitoring like the depths of the core of your humanity, right? Like the core of what makes you a human is being monitored on that machine. Your body is being monitored on that machine and that machine is going up and down, up and down, up and down. Right? When a person, God forbid, is dying, then what happens? What does the monitor reflect? He's flatlining. What that tells me is that life itself is up 
and down. That force that's pumping through you at all times is a force that is reflected on a monitor by going up and down. And when that force ceases, when you have death, what happens is flatline. And so if you tell me that you think there's a person out there who's just like, you know, you draw, I'm sure you look at a lot of charts and graphs, right? Right. And you look at trends, right? In your day-to-day business and you look at a trend. And if you saw like there was a stock and you look at this line and it's just a diagonal line, right? Starts from trading at $3 and there's just this line that's just going straight up. What would you say? Like you just see this line, just just straight up. It's just going up and up and up and up. It's, well, it's going to crash. It's going to crash. Right. It's, it's it doesn't make sense. Something's yeah. wrong. Like the data's wrong. Like I don't know yeah. what you're feeding into this chart, <laughs> into what you're showing me, but like something's wrong. This is right. not the way things work. And when you see something that is doing the up and down game, so you say, okay, that's normal. Now let's see. Let's see where it's trending. Let's see which direction it's trending. Is it trending up? Well, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's look at three months, right? Let's look at five days, then three months. Let's look at the last two quarters. Let's look at since the last earning call, right? You look at which, where is this, where is this stock trending? It's okay. a great analogy because it does. It, it, if, if you see it pull back and start to trade sideways, it begins to build a base, that new price level, which will typically, all else being equal, allow it to have the, the base to, to move it and to direct it to a much higher level. Ah, that's the whole thing. That's it. Okay. It's right there. And guess what? If you zoom in too close, you don't know what's going on. If you just look at the last hour of trading on a stock, I don't care what stock it is. Does that tell you the whole picture? Does it tell you no. the whole picture? No, no, not at all. I mean, no. I, I, at, least, at least give me the last week, right? At right. least give me a quarter. Like, give me some data here to analyze. So True. how come when we look at stocks, it's so obvious and then we come to ourselves and we're like, you know, I'm really struggling right now. I had a great chakras. I davened beautifully. I felt connected. I might have even learned something afterwards or before. I went for a run. I did some chores around the house. Like, I was, it, everything was awesome. And then I'm like, I don't know why. I feel like I just hit a brick wall. I just, I'm not feeling it right now. Why, why do we do that to ourselves? Are we looking at the whole picture? We're not looking at the whole picture. We're looking at like a blip possibly on the radar. Zoom out. First thing I think is so, so important is that when we're analyzing where we are, zoom out. Look at the trend. Look at how you're trending. And when you start understanding that you're trending upwards and that life means up and down, up and down. I could prove it. When you hook someone alive up to a machine, it's up and down. The measurement of life is up and down. When we look at ourselves, we have to do the same thing. Pull back. Slider over it from, from one day or from one hour. Slide it back to three months. Slide it back to six months. Slide it back to 10 years if you need to. Look at the trend. And the trend of the life you're describing is a life of connecting. That's the trend. Connecting more every day. And guess what? Some days, Tesla has, has those days also. Amazon has those days. Like, really? Like, what, they're not making money? What's going on? There's these corrections. This happens. This does happen. And when you're too focused in on one moment, it's you lose the trend and you lose the real data that needs to be analyzed. And that is something that no one, no one ever says, you know, you, got, you can get comfortable trending up. So listen, we can, you know, we can take off, right? We don't have to pump out any more batteries, right? Tesla says, you know what? We've made a lot of money this year. Let's not pump out any more batteries for a couple months. You know, we're just going to take some time off. I'm going to send everyone on vacation. Be amazing. Can't. You can't do that. You can right. keep pumping away. That's true. 
but you got to understand that life that is the the graph if you would if you would chart your life and you zoom out and look at a good sample size the life you're describing is a life that's trending upwards so it has ups and downs that's life that's how it works this is what the rabbis tell us is like this is basic we got to understand that this is the is the full, the ebb and flow of life literally it's the up and down of life it's the back and forth it's the times you know rabbi wolby who's very close to you his grandfather of shlomo wolby he actually gives it a very interesting name these two time periods or these two experiences he calls the good times yemei ahava the days of love and he calls the bad times or the struggling times he calls them yemei the days of sin'a the days of hatred what does it mean god hates you at that time no god loves you at the other time it's not what it means it means that you're feeling like there's a distance at those times in the good times you're feeling very close in the bad times yemei sin'a it's a times of hatred of like you can almost get to a point and this is a real struggle for a lot of people that you can get to a point where you're down is like way down. You take a real sell-off. You guys are a real dip one day. And that is what he describes as Yemei Sina. The question is, okay, so that's step number one. Step number one is, this is baked into the human experience. Baked into who we are when you're alive is up and down. When you're dead, it'll be a time to flatline. That's a time when everything just is still. That's not the time. Life, up and down. That's how it works not straight line up you'd say there's something wrong with the data you told me you told me if it's a straight line up and you're just connected and the next day more connected the next day more connected so come on something's wrong something's wrong with this it's up and down maybe for me the challenge has become with my benchmark selection because i'm around all you guys all the time now and i'm like seeing like i need to be up you know with the uh the standard and poor 500 of Torah scholars and rabbis, I'm around you guys. I'm like, I need at least be doing the basics. And I think maybe that's what's made it maybe uh, more challenging or or frustrating for me. Okay, so to speak to that, I think you're you're walking in and making some assumptions that I think are fair based on how people look and how people present. But I will tell you that this is a struggle— the same struggle that you have, it's a struggle for people that were raised religious. It's a struggle for people that were raised ultra-Orthodox. It's a struggle for people raised in any community. For a Balchuva, it's a struggle for everyone. This is, this is life. This is life. It's up and down. And when you get into it and you watch really closely, and you'll get there. You'll, you'll start picking up on some of the nuances. When you watch really closely, you'll see. You'll watch. You'll see people going through that struggle. Could be a minute-to-minute struggle. You might see them an hour-to-hour, hour, a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month struggle where there's a month up and a month down, where there's times, maybe months at a time, they're flying high. And then it just looks like they're crashing and burning. And they're also just, I think you really have to understand that all of us, we're all in the same boat. Just a bunch of Jews trying to find our way, trying to find our way, bring a little godliness into the world, raise a family, make a couple bucks, maybe, Learn some Torah, connect Hashem, and somehow juggle all of this. We're all in the same boat. We're all doing the same thing. Everyone their own marathon. Everyone with their own finish line that keeps moving. But we're all doing the same thing. 
Really, I really deeply believe it. And you'll, you will, the more you're exposed to, I would say, the community in general, like the more you're exposed to this, these, this, these people that you're describing, the more you'll realize. And when you think about it, you, you've already realized it. It's beautiful to put people on a pedestal, but I, I think you, you, you've already started seeing even rabbis can have their on day and their off day. They're on hour, they're on minute, they're off minute, they're off hour. Listen, the greater person gets, the greater the Yetzirah, right? So the challenges are only, they might be different challenges, but they're, they're still challenged. They still have those challenges. It's a nuance. The greater you get, maybe the, you're challenged on different things, challenged on different topics, subjects, different life events, but it's there for everyone. Okay. So, so we, we all have challenges. And as you were talking, I was thinking about the Parsha where Yokoff is fighting with Esau's angel, and he names him Israel. What is the translation like struggle with? Yeah, you struggled and overcame. Okay, so maybe is that part of it? So the way Hashem is evaluating me is based off whether how hard I struggle? Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so I'm winning and struggling. (laughs) Then we'll get you a prize. No, quite literally, then you get a prize. Because... You, you're aware, obviously, of how many people there are in the world that are not even engaged in the struggle. All God wants, what does he want from us? Just struggle a little bit. Just be bothered, troubled, curious, explore, engage. You walk in, you're teaching a class, right? You're teaching a seminar, right? And you have, and, and like nowadays, right? It's in, quite impossible to get people's attention, right? And you walk in and everyone's on their cell phone. At that point, you don't even care if anyone's listening. Can you guys just look at me? Can we get some eye contact? <laughs> right? You go on a Zoom conference call and everyone has their video off. And I, you're like, I have zero connection to these people. It's like they might be listening. They might not. I'm not sure. Then the guy comes on and he has his camera propped up. And you see he's like making a scrambled egg. Right? <laughs> you're like, there's no engagement here. Can you at least engage with me? In the world of pre-Zoom, you're like, can you at least like, at least look my direction and God asks us the same thing he's sitting up there he's like can you at least just acknowledge me just like look in my direction we'll work on what we're going to do with that connection later <laughs> can we at least be engaged with each other and that's like that's yeah there's there's a prize given out for being engaged in the struggle 100% it's so fundamental to understand that it's it's not an anomaly when we have those downtimes. It's not a time of, oh, must be God's like turned away from me. It's his fault. Right? It's always his fault. Right? <laughs> He's just not giving me the love anymore. Something's wrong. I'm not feeling it. I'm not sensing it. A lot of times, think about the, think about the cycle of history, okay? Think about this is, this is something that um, a lot of people, and you'll tell me if, tell me if you agree with this uh, analysis, but a lot of people um, at times struggle with this in a in a chuva process when they're returning and making changes to their lives we start off and there's this bolt of enthusiasm and this tremendous amount of energy and at that time the strides that we take are almost like the doors are just being opened for us i mean we're just like running through barricades like flying through them the incredible hulk nothing stopping me i'm just flying through walls and barriers that have been set up my whole life and then we hit a wall and it seems like it's like a paper wall 
It's like you could see through it. Like you could see what's on the other side right. and you hit that wall and like you go bouncing back like you're a tiny little baby. Like you have no strength to even push the paper over and get through that wall. And we hit that wall. And a lot of people describe that uh, after, in, after going through some life, a life-changing time where they've made real changes in their lives and then they experience hitting a wall. You ever had that experience? Absolutely. It happens, right? Yes. Not only with you. It happens with everyone. In fact, it's baked into being a Jew. Because look what happened. We're in Egypt before we're a nation. We're in Egypt. Right. What level are we on? The lowest of the low. Right. We're about to disappear into Egyptian society. We're literally on the 49th level of Tumah, the 49th level of impurity. We're about to disappear. There will be no Jewish people. And what does God do? Takes us out. Does it make sense? I mean, he, he literally puts us on his back and walks us out of Egypt and beats the Egyptians up while he's doing it. Is that like the ultimate freebie? It's like the ultimate transformative process that every single one of us went through and we get out and God gives us this freebie. Incredible. And then he says, you know what? I'm not done yet. You're going to get to a challenge and watch. You walk up to a, a sea And the Egyptians are fast approaching behind you. There's nowhere to turn. Left and right is dangerous. The Egyptians are right behind you, in front of you, the Yamsuf. And there's like this massive wall in front of you. And what happens? You just walk in and it splits. Greatest miracle of all time, right? Things, there's literally these barriers are just falling, falling from in front of the Jewish people like nobody's business. Like they have all the power in the world. They're fighting through it. They're fighting through it. They're fighting through it. And then... He says, I'm not done yet. Let's go get the Torah, right? You guys, I mean, nothing's really changed about you. I'm still, I still got you on my backs. I'm still taking you along for the ride. And we get to Mount Sinai and we receive the Torah and we hear the word of God himself, God speaking to the world. This is like the greatest revelation ever, literally. And then what? And then we come crashing down to earth. We build an idol, start dancing around it. Whatever the mistake was, we hit this thing where... When you think about it, you're like, guys, what is wrong with you? Seriously? An idol? Like, did you not just hear what he said? Do you not understand how this religion works? You built a what? You built a what in the shape of a what? It doesn't make any sense. We come crashing down to earth. There's this little paper challenge in front of us. This little imaginary challenge that says, don't build idols. And we can't do it. We're like, no, we need, we just, we need an idol. For whatever reason, we figured it out that we needed it, but like, we need an idol, right? There's this paper wall in front of the Jews, and they come crashing down. They can't get through it. They run up to that wall, and they crumble at the bottom, at the foot of that wall. They can't get through it. They can't get around it. They can't get over it. It's a challenge they can't do. And they spend 40 years, they spend 40 years fighting to get back to a place where they're able to get into the land of Israel, the next stage on their journey. Mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. How do you think the Jews felt on like an epic level? How do you think they felt? They were the ultimate, the ultimate Baal Tshuva, the ultimate person who had gone through this transformative life experience. They got out of Egypt. (laughs) They got all these freebies. They got the Torah. They got to hear from God. They got crowns from the angels. I mean, this is like, this is incredible. And then they hit this silly thing called an idol and they couldn't do it. They came crashing down and then struggled. And the rabbis tell us that's the pattern of our lives also. Same thing. God gives you freebies. He says, let's go. 
I'm taking you with me. We're going to crash through some walls. Let's go. And you got this battering ram. Just boom, boom, boom. One thing after another, you're able to get through it. No problem. No problem, right? Right. And then you hit that thing that is like, are you serious? That's your challenge? That's your problem? Not belittling anyone's challenges, but in the big scheme of things, that's your challenge? That's what you got? That's all you got? And you can't, you can't do it. You push with all your might, and you can't push down the wall. You can't get through it. But that's life. That's how it works. What does God want? He says, I'll show you where you could get to. I'll show you the top of the mountain. I'll show you the pinnacle. I'll show you the peak. And then guess what? Boom, crash at the bottom. You know you could get there. Go for it. You're at the bottom now. Let's see what you could do. Earn it. Earn it. I gave you a freebie. Earn it. Get back there. Start climbing. Let's go. Now, what mistake? What, 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 do we, what trap do we fall into? There's loudspeakers at the bottom of the mountain. Right. Yeah, what's the trap? You're no good. You can't do it. You loser. You're falling. You yeah. loser. <laughs> Seriously? You were like, like you were at the top. Wait, you were at the top of the mountain and, and Guinness Book of World Records wasn't there to record it? Like, are you serious? Like, you're telling everyone about it when you're at the bottom, right? You're like, wait, so, oh, so you got a picture, right? You're like, no, mm, no. I, I mean, I could only like, I, I can't even, I don't even know what it looked like. I, no pictures, nothing, no record of it, right? Almost as if it never happened. What does God say to you? fight to get back there except at that moment right there right there you're at the bottom of the mountain that's the opening for the evil inclination and he says to you do you really want to climb it all the way again like like look up look back up that mountain like you you see it's above the clouds is the peak that's the top of the mountain you really want to climb it i mean look at you you're at the bottom of the mountain it's comfortable here you're in the chalet right you're chilling in the hot tub, <laughs> snow all around this beautiful mountain. You're chilling. You have a beer and a hot cocoa, maybe a hot cocoa beer. I don't know nowadays, right? With the IPAs, you have an incredible beer. You're sitting in the hot tub. You're enjoying yourself. They say, like, like really? You want to go back and struggle? You're like, no, I'm suiting up, right? I'm going back out there. And, like, and there's this loudspeaker. This is the evil inclination here is like loud and clear in your voice. Like, you're a loser. You're at the bottom of the mountain. You'll never get back to the top. That's once in a lifetime, what you did. That's life. That's what the Jews experienced. And the pattern repeats itself time and time and time again for the Jewish people on a national level. It's a pattern that, that we experience in our lives, in our days, in our months, in our years, in our weeks, in our minutes. We get a minutes where Hashem says, you come at the beginning of davening and you're like, I'm so connected. And then like in the middle of davening, all of a sudden you're like, what? Well, you're in another world. You're another planet. And you're like, I'm such a loser. Let me just finish this up. I got to go. Like, I'm done. And that's that right, right, right there. That's the evil inclination. He snuck in. He snuck in. He said, come on, you, you lost You lost your thought. You lost what you were, you were connected. You lost it. You never get back there. Just give it up. Yeah, maybe he tells you, okay, maybe you could try again tomorrow or this afternoon. Like, yeah, now's not the time. You got stuff to do. That's it right there. That's challenges. That's the Jewish people. That's life. That's everything. It's everything. Is everything is the up and down, the ebb and flow, the, the gifting, the yamei ahava, those times when we sense and feel the love and connection and beauty of what we're doing. And there are times when it can become dry. We can get discouraged, feel like a loser, could feel like I just need to, you know, I need to get back there, but I don't feel motivation to do it. I don't feel like I want to go out there and run that marathon. I don't, I, you know, I'm comfortable. That's the evil inclination. He found his place right there. He tells you to give up. That's why Rabbi Nachman says, Ein shum, ein shum what? There is no yish ba'olam klal. There's no giving up hope. You're not allowed to give up hope. 
Giving up hope means you're not engaged in the battle. You're not engaged in the struggle. You've given up hope. Guess who won? Remembering it. Rabbi Nachman teaching where he talks about God provides this influx of inspiration to to push us ahead, but then always pulls back and conceals himself more. And it's that it is that moment of concealment where you sort of earn things for yourself. That's where life is. Exactly. That's okay. where you get the awards. The Rabbi Nachman says it's easy. The times of the good times, those are the easy times. You're inspired, right. you're connected. It's easy to make Shabbos when you're waiting around for Shabbos. What about on a day when you're dreading the fact that it's Shabbos? Now you got to go to shul. Now you got to come home and have a, a festive meal, your Friday night meal. The, should be the highlight of your family's week. Now you got to go do that. That's where the reward comes, is in those times. It's when, you, when you're not feeling. Okay, so how do you prepare for it? You know it's coming, okay? We've established that it's coming. It is part of life. It is just a basic element of being human up and down. Good times, bad times. Connected, not connected. Okay. Call it what you want. It's, it's there. Thank you for listening to part one of Running and Returning with Rabbi Wolgelinter. Stay tuned for the upcoming release of Running and Returning, part two. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.